Welcome to the Monterey Podcast. For more information, check out our website at montereychurch.com. What a blessing to be the people of God. What a blessing to be filled with the Spirit of God. And what a blessing to be reminded again and again as we read Scripture of God's call for us to be filled, for us to be holy. And I pray as we continue to walk through this series together, Uh, that we are challenged in that very direction. Uh, Let me begin uh, by echoing the words you saw in the little video at the outset of our assembly, echoing the words that Hudson spoke a moment ago, uh, wishing a happy Mother's Day to the mothers and grandmothers in our audience. Uh, We're grateful for your faith, for your devotion to your children and your grandchildren, for your example to the body of Christ. Uh, Near the end of the assembly today, one of our shepherds will offer a special prayer of blessing over you, but please know uh, how important you are, not only to your family, but to all of us as the family of God. Uh, The way that you mentor, the way that you love, the way that you as women of God are spiritual mothers and mentors to us, we are incredibly grateful. And now as we continue this series on the Holy Spirit, let me invite you to hear words from the Apostle Paul. From Ephesians chapter 1, the concluding words in a prayer that Paul offers at the outset of this letter, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. From 2 Corinthians chapter 1, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And then just a few chapters later, uh, the same sentiments expressed, but this time in a context where Paul is talking about our forever future with God. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Let's pray again. God, for your goodness and grace and faithfulness, we are thankful for the gift of Jesus that brings redemption, we're thankful, and for the presence of the Spirit in our hearts and in our lives, reminding us that we're not alone, guiding us, comforting us, strengthening us, empowering us. God, we're thankful. And I pray again today that we lean in to those reminders in Scripture that the Spirit indeed dwells in us, lives in us, empowers us, that we're not alone. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, I've posed this question in this context many, many times through the years. I love posing this question when I'm teaching Bible classes. If I were to ask you, Uh, to identify your favorite passage of Scripture in the entire Word of God. 
I'm confident that most of you would very quickly point to a verse or a paragraph or perhaps a chapter, verses that have been significant verses in your journey of faith. Many of you have heard me reference the fact that Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 are my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Uh, Just like the verses I read a moment ago from Ephesians 1, these verses in Ephesians 3 conclude another prayer that Paul voices as he writes to this church, a prayer that begins, I pray that out of his glorious riches, God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, should resonate with us as we think about the presence of the Spirit in our lives, that God might strengthen us with power through His Spirit in our inner beings. And then those two verses that are my favorites that close that prayer. Now to Him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power, that is at work within us. To him be glory in in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God, who's able to do far beyond what we ask or imagine, not because of our power, but because of God's power that lives in us through the Spirit. My favorite verses in all the Bible. But right up there with those two verses is the passage I read from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 a passage that you've heard me use on numerous occasions when I've led communion thoughts at Monterey, that God's promises to us are always yes in Christ Jesus in every piece of our lives. But as we share communion together, a powerful reminder that God is saying yes to us again and again, that Jesus is saying yes to us again and again. Every time we take the bread, every time we drink the cup, And in that context, as well as in so many other contexts in life, we speak the amen to God. We say yes to God. We renew our commitment to God. But it's a passage that has become even more profound to me as I think about the promises of God related to the Holy Spirit. Paul uh, Paul points to the promises of God as it relates to the work of Jesus. And so the death of Jesus, the reconciling work of Jesus... But he takes it even a step further and reminds us of the promises of God through the presence of the Holy Spirit, that God has anointed us. An incredible word in and of itself, God has anointed us. God has set his seal of ownership on us. And God has given us the Spirit as a deposit, a down payment, guaranteeing our future, guaranteeing our inheritance. And that language, as I hope you noticed in the original readings this morning, that language is so identical to the language of Ephesians 1 and then 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Well, most of you perhaps have been with us thus far in this series on the Holy Spirit. Today is the third week. The first two weeks were somewhat foundational in nature. We're going to look more specifically in the next two lessons about the work of the Spirit in our lives, our Sunday morning adult classes I've been diving into this topic as well, and I'm hearing so many good things about the conversations and the studies there. And we will continue this focus, even this summer, as we talk about the Spirit's work in our lives, specifically the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. 
But for today, let me do a couple of things. One, remind us, because I want these images to wash over us again and again, remind us of some of the images we talked about last Sunday that describe the presence and the work of the Spirit. And then I'll circle back to the text that I've read for today. The Holy Spirit, we last week affirmed, is our counselor, our advocate. The Holy Spirit is our helper in the midst of our weaknesses. And if we're honest, all of us experience way more weakness than we want to experience. And yet the Spirit is present. The Holy Spirit is our guide. We're led by the Spirit, encouraged to keep in step with the Spirit, encouraged not to quench the work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our intercessor in our prayer lives. The Holy Spirit is the power in our inner being. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us, makes us holy, gives us the power to overcome sin, gives us assurance in the face of death. As the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit gives us gifts in order that the body might be built up and in order that we might engage in the mission of God. The Holy Spirit transforms us, molds us into the image of Christ, produces the character of Christ within us, grows the fruit of the Spirit in us. And lots and lots of other images that are used in Scripture that speak to the, to the Spirit's presence. Images like the Spirit descending like a dove at the baptism of Jesus. The Spirit's presence is described as tongues of fire in Acts chapter 2 on that day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit blows where it wills, described as wind. And in fact, Aaron will wrap up this series at the end of the month by referencing some of those texts. But then the images that are found in the text that I read this morning, where Paul affirms the Holy Spirit is a seal, a stamp, God's mark of ownership on us. And the Holy Spirit is a deposit, a down payment, guaranteeing our future, guaranteeing our inheritance. And as some of you have heard me reference in past studies on the Holy Spirit, that is my favorite image that Scripture uses to describe the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, yes, mysterious and challenging to get, a he to get our heads around. Uh, mysterious and challenging in terms of we're not going to understand everything about the work of the Spirit. We're not going to be able to answer all of the questions that we might pose. But as we've said throughout this series, I want us to believe that the Holy Spirit is indeed present in our lives and works in our lives. In one respect, and we're likewise saying this throughout the series, in one respect, this entire conversation is all about relationship. Relationship in the divine family between Father, Son, and Spirit. And relationship that the, Spirit, that, that, the, that the divine family has invited us into. Created for that, and yet even in spite of sin, God's still pursuing us and inviting us into that relationship. And so with last Sunday's lesson as a backdrop, we talked about the Old Testament sacrificial system, background to understanding the work of Jesus. We affirmed that the blood of Jesus cleansed the sanctuary, no longer a physical structure, but us. We're described in the New Testament as the temple, the dwelling place, the sanctuary of the Spirit of God cleansed us in order that the Spirit of God might move in. And quite frankly... If I were to say nothing else during this series than to say God's Spirit moved in, God wants to live in us. If I said nothing else, that ought to be a profound thought that would carry us for the rest of our lives, that the God of the universe wants to dwell within us.
But to take it just a step further, these readings today from Ephesians and 2 Corinthians, that the Holy Spirit is indeed a seal, declaring ownership. We've been bought with a price, the blood of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is a deposit, a guarantee. Let me talk about history for just a moment, and if this sounds familiar to some of you, I've actually used this illustration in previous studies, not just of the Spirit, but as we talk about the redeeming work of our, of our God. Let me talk about history for just a moment, and specifically talk about the way history is described in Scripture. Contrast that for a moment to a view of history that was prominent in the ancient world, a view of history that basically said history is circular. Same old thing over and over and over and over again. You basically get nowhere. You're going around in a circle. You get nowhere. And not only do you get nowhere, there is no real meaning to living life in that way. The place in Scripture that comes closest to even talking about that is in the book of Ecclesiastes where the writer of Ecclesiastes talks about the different paths that we pursue, trying to find meaning in life. And all of those, in one respect, are circular. They, they just keep going around and around and around, leading the writer to say, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, until ultimately the writer points us to our faith and our trust in God. That is the predominant theme in the ancient Near Eastern world during the time of Israel. Same thing, over and over and over again. In contrast to that, Scripture talks about a linear view of history. History has a beginning. We were created, and history is going to have an ending. History is headed somewhere. History is linear, but beyond just being linear, history is meaningful. God is taking history somewhere. When we come to an end, there is a goal, a triumphant conclusion, and that gives us meaning as we live life right now. Let me try to put it in ways that I understand and hopefully will make sense to you as well. For a Christ follower, as you think about history, the past is the past. The present is the present, and hopefully we live it with abundance because we've been given abundant life. History is headed somewhere, to a triumphant conclusion, but in one respect, because of the resurrection of Jesus, the future has been yanked into the present moment. It's the language that Brian McLaren uses to say, because of the resurrection of Jesus, the future has been yanked into the present moment. The end time has already begun. When Jesus died on the cross, as another writer put it, we see God's love in its most profound way. When Jesus dies on the cross, God's love is poured out on us. But the story doesn't end there. Reality is until we see the resurrection, one might wonder if God has the power to conquer all the powers of Satan. The resurrection is a profound declaration of God's power. And the book of Ephesians, the prayers in that book are all about that power. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that raises us from spiritual death to spiritual life, the power that lives within us. And so as a result of the resurrection of Jesus, we as believers are folks who know what time it is. 
We live between the resurrection and the coming of Jesus. But we don't live so, we, we don't live without meaning. We live in the present moment knowing that the future has been yanked into the present moment. We know exactly where God is taking history. Most important event in history has happened the resurrection. And the resurrection is a clear, marvelous, profound evidence of God's future, that Jesus is coming. But I've said all of that to make this point. There is, in my judgment, a difference between the first century church and the 21st century church. I suppose there are a variety of differences we could talk about. But one of those differences is in the first century church. The coming of Jesus was just over the horizon. Now, often they misunderstood the coming of Jesus, but for that first century church, he's coming soon. The coming is just over the horizon, and theologically, that's where the coming of Jesus has always been. But we're prone as 21st century folks to kind of step back and wonder, where is the promise of your coming? 2,000 years have passed. In fact, it's the same question that is even beginning to be posed by the end of the first century in 2 Peter's writings. Well, in addition to the resurrection guaranteeing our future, these texts that I've read from Paul today tell us in bold fashion the Holy Spirit is another guarantee. Resurrection is a guarantee, but let's even add to that. The Holy Spirit is a deposit, a down payment, a guarantee of what is to come, a reminder of what time it is. Jesus continues to be present in his church through the Holy Spirit, a guarantee that he will finish what he started. In fact, there's language in the Gospel of John that just causes all of this to rattle around in my head. Jesus not only says to the apostles, I'll give you another counselor, he says, because of the presence of the Spirit, you will do even greater work than I've done. You will do even greater work than I've done. Grab hold of that, church, that we, as the people of God, are called to be His presence, are called to declare the wisdom of God to the world, and in one respect will do even greater work than Jesus did. And so I would submit that when we deny the presence and the work of the Spirit in our lives, when we deny that, we're denying what is so significant to our journey of faith. We deny the presence of God in our midst. And so I read again and again and again those texts in Paul's writings that tell us the Holy Spirit is a seal. The Holy Spirit is a deposit, a guarantee. And growing out of that, let me mention a couple of reasons why I think that is so important for us to consider. Number one, the presence of the Holy Spirit gives us power and boldness and strength and peace. And if you would allow me to use the word, gives us leverage in our everyday lives. Uh, think about the life of the early church for just a moment, especially as you think about the stories in the book of Acts. Think about the persecution the early church faced. Think about the suffering they experienced, the heartache that often was wrapped into their journeys of faith. And yet the presence of the Spirit gave them confidence and gave them peace because they understood that God was at work and God was taking history somewhere. 
given the presence of God in our lives through the Spirit, given the fact that God is taking history somewhere, I would suggest to us that what happens to us in terms of pressures, in terms of hardships, I would suggest that all of that big picture really shouldn't shake us, shouldn't matter a great deal. And I'm not talking about a cavalier attitude when we face hardship. I'm talking about a worldview that sees beyond the present moment. I think about a text like Philippians chapter 4 where Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And sometimes we read that text and we begin to think in phenomenal ways about what we can do in Christ. Okay, fair enough. But if you step back and look at the context, it is a context where Paul says, I've learned to be content. No matter what my experiences, no matter what my circumstances, I've learned to be content. I'm going to survive because I see that bigger picture. Christ dwells in me through the Spirit. I'm going to be able to survive. No matter what we face, we're going to survive. And again, when we understand that view of history, all of the stuff that happens to us in the meantime is relatively unimportant. Let me invite you to think about your life for just a moment and then pose a question like, so what, what is it that just annoys you? What is it that just upsets you, that kind of turns your day upside down, the things that people get bent out of shape all about? Things like traffic jams, the little things about our spouses or our children or our co-workers or even our brothers and sisters in Christ, the little things that annoy us, and we allow those things to drive wedges in our lives. We allow those things to dominate and control our thinking. And while I don't want to dismiss any of those conflicts we would experience in life, I would also submit to us because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, those little annoyances in life really don't matter. But stay with me as well. The presence of the Holy Spirit as a guarantee also gives us leverage over the hard stuff in life. Sickness and disease and heartache and brokenness, death all around us, death of children, tragedies in life, the temptations that challenge us, the sins that overwhelm us. And I want you to hear me carefully. It's not an attitude of I don't care, but the stuff that is absolutely unbearable, the stuff that is absolutely unbearable in our lives becomes bearable because of the presence and the guarantee of the Holy Spirit bringing a peace that the world doesn't understand. To use the language of Jesus in the Gospel of John, I bring you a peace, not the kind of peace the world brings, but I bring you a peace that will be with you in the midst of whatever you face. Holy Spirit is a deposit, a guarantee, giving us that kind of peace and that kind of leverage. I invite those who are serving communion and passing the buckets, if you'd go ahead and make your way to the back. And as they do so, here is a second reason that I think the Holy Spirit as a deposit matters. The guarantee through the Spirit allows us to just live life with urgency, even to live life in risky sort of ways. And I'm not talking about stupid sort of ways. I'm talking about risky sort of things. 
Stepping out of our comfort zone, stepping into situations that the Spirit of God prompts us to step into, building relationships with people for the sake of the kingdom. You see, the Spirit's intention is for us to not get bogged down in this world's things, but for us to be instruments of righteousness because we have a limited time to invite us to be the very presence of Christ in our world. And so to tie it together for today, the Holy Spirit as a deposit frees us of worry and anxiety. And the Holy Spirit makes us powerful in the work of the Lord because we know ultimately how it's going to turn out. Over the last couple of weeks, we have passed buckets uh, through the audience, inviting you to take a slip of paper. Week one, words of a covenant prayer. We invited you to pray in the coming days that week. A prayer that invites us to be submissive, no matter what the circumstances of life may be. Last Sunday, slips of paper with different scriptures, and we challenged you to read and to pray over those scriptures this week, again inviting the Spirit of God to be at work in your life. Today, those slips of paper include what we're calling action steps. Perhaps make a phone call to encourage someone, take someone to coffee, send a text message, write a note of encouragement. And so as you take those slips of paper today, we invite you not only to be aware of what's on the slip of paper, but we invite you to be prayerful this week. God would put the name of someone on your heart, on your mind, and that you would be sensitive to that prompting, that you would make that phone call, that you would write that note of encouragement. And if we think about it, I believe the reality is the Spirit of God does that all the time putting into our hearts, putting into our minds the names of folks that we need to be reaching out to, blessing, encouraging. And so you wake up in the middle of the night and you've got a name on your, on your mind. Maybe that's just the Spirit of God prompting you to step into that person's life. And so as those buckets are passed this morning, we invite you to take a slip of paper to be prayerful this week and to step into someone's life to bless and to encourage them. Let's sing together as the buckets are passed. If it's bandaging the broken or washing filthy Send me 